Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church podcast. We love hearing about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now enjoy today's message. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And this is absolutely one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Uh, in fact, today's sermon is kind of like a bonus teaching to a sermon that I've taught before. If you don't know much about 1 Samuel chapter 14, uh, this is the passage, it's part in the Bible, where God uses this guy named Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. God uses this guy named Jonathan to bring about a great victory when Israel needed it the most. See, see the, the context is there was this guy, Jonathan. He had this crazy idea that God wanted to use him in a significant way. And it was just him outnumbered and all these other guys. And the only guy he had with him was his one lone armor bearer. And this armor bearer had enough faith. He said to Jonathan, do all that you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. I love that passage of scripture. It's actually one of the terms that we use to talk about what it means to be part of this church and what it means to be bought in to be heart and soul. But that's not the story I'm talking about. What I wanna to talk to you about today is what happens after that story. And this passage, it's almost so insignificant that you'd be tempted to read right over it and think, what is there in this passage? How does this even apply to me? Uh, I don't even see what the significance is uh, of this whole story. But I was reading this in my daily Bible reading a few weeks ago, and God really just used it to speak something fresh to me. So I'm excited to share it with you. I've been saving it for a while, and uh, I, I knew when I read it and when God started showing me some things that this was the message that I need to share with you on Father's Day. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're gonna start in verse 24, and we're gonna dig into this together. This is what it says. Now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath saying, cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods and there was honey on the ground. And when they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out. So just imagine, they're, they're marching through, there's this wild honey, it's just dripping off the honeycomb. But nobody put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with his oath. The reason he hadn't heard it is because he was the one who went out and brought the victory. He was the one who went out and fought this great battle. Saul made this oath while everybody was in distress. Saul made this oath while they were being attacked. Jonathan went out, fought this battle, brought a victory. He didn't hear about this oath. So he reached out the end of his staff that was in his hand. He dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, hey, you shouldn't have done that. Your father bound the army under a strict oath saying, cursed be anyone who eats food today. This is why the men are faint. But Jonathan said, man, my father, he messed up. He shouldn't have done this. He's made trouble for the whole country. Do you see how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey? How much better would it have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies? Would not the victory have been even greater. I want to use this text to speak to you about this subject, the sweet taste 
of victory. The sweet taste of victory. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. That's my title. And if you use that pen we gave you when you walked in, we don't charge you as much in the offering later on in the service. So you can write that down. Hey, I wanna pray. It's always my custom to pray. I need God's help for this. I believe God wants to speak to you through this word. I believe this is a powerful life-changing word today. It'll change the way you think and it'll change the way you behave. So if you would bow your heads with me, I wanna pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. God, as we celebrate Father's Day, I recognize that you are the perfect father and we thank you for your role in our life, God. How even regardless of what may be going on in our lives, our relationship with our dad and everything that's happened, God, that we can look to you and, and you work in our lives. And God, I'm asking that you use this message today uh, to bring encouragement, to bring help and to bring strength, to bring a new perspective, God. I believe that's what we need today is we need a new perspective. So God, help me today. I'm relying on you. I don't wanna get up here in my own strength or my own ability. God, I, I really want to trust you that you would speak through me, that it'd be your words that go forth. So God, use me today. I believe you will. Help us to hear today. Everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, do we have any parents in the room? I always like to know who I'm talking to, parents in the room. Have you guys, uh, have you ever noticed that like one of your kids, not on how many kids you have, maybe you just have one, but like, like one of your kids seems to get a little more under your skin than the rest of them. Have you ever noticed that? I didn't say point them out. I just, I just wanted to know, somebody like, one of them, don't you mean all of them? All of them get under my skin. I don't know what's like the essential ingredient in being a good parent. Maybe it's patience, maybe it's love, maybe it's medication, I'm not sure. But I think all of us, you know, we all have this one kid that just seems to get under our skin more than the rest. I think the reason is because they're the most like us. Would you agree? That they, they tend to have most of our characteristics. Like if there's one thing, I don't know what you got for Father's Day or what you got your dad for Father's Day, but I, I will tell you this, if there's one gift that your kids give you, it is the gift of self-awareness. You, you see in your kids all the things that you wanna see and you even see all that stuff that you don't wanna see. Would you agree with that? And uh, that, that's what was fascinating as I was reading this. I, I chose this text today because what we see is a father's frustration is affecting the next generation. I don't know if you noticed that, but Saul is frustrated here. They're in the middle of a war and he's frustrated with the situation. And in his moment of frustration, he says something that causes difficulty for everybody else who's with him. And it was a wake-up call for me when I read this because I saw something in Saul that I see in myself. And what I see is that Saul had a problem with progress. Now, I realize that that might seem strange, and maybe it even seems strange that I would take issue with improvement, but you gotta hear me out here because the problem with progress and the problem that I have with progress is that the further you go, the further you see that you have to go. Is that just me or, or do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, you can take any area of life, but since I'm preaching, we'll just take my favorite one. Let's take exercise. I mean, I don't care how good you're doing with your regimen. I don't, I don't care how good you're eating. You lose 10 pounds, the next thing you think, well, I'd really like to lose 15. You lose 15 pounds, you hit your goal weight, the next thing you think, well, I hit my weight, but now I really wanna tone it up. You, you tone it up and you're like, well, now I really wanna work 
on my strength. I, I want to get strong. It doesn't matter what you're working on. The goalpost always moves. You, you're always thinking, I'll be happy when I get to this point. And, and that's what was going on for Saul. They had just won a victory, but the battle wasn't over. The battle had just moved. And the problem with this perspective is that it causes us to live unsatisfied. We live unsatisfied. See, that's, that's my problem. <laughs> I, I've realized that I often live unsatisfied. And I didn't realize this until recently. I needed my wife to point it out to me. Praise the Lord for wives. See, we have this little routine, and um, I don't know when it started. We're coming up on 15 years of marriage. This could be going on 15 years. Maybe it's been going on three months. I really don't know. But we have this little routine where um, I'll go to work, work hard. I come home from work. I see my wife. She asks me this question. Hey, how was your day today? And I always have this certain response. I say, well, it wasn't a bad day. Now, you got to understand, when I say this, like, I'm not discouraged. I'm not depressed. Like, I'm a pretty positive guy. In my estimation, by saying it's not a bad day, the definition is it must be a good day. But I've been saying this for a long time. She said, she finally says, well, you know, I've noticed every time you come home from work, I always ask you, how's your day? And you always have the same response. It's not a bad day. What would it take to actually have it be a good day. I mean, tell me, what would it really require for it to be a great day? And I was like, well, I can tell you a couple things right off the bat. But the, the thing is, is it's, not like, it's not like the day was bad. It's not like it was awful. Here's the problem. It's just that every day I have a list of everything I want to accomplish. And every day that list is way longer than whatever I could get done in a day. So anything short of perfection well, it's not a bad day, you know? I mean, to really be a good day, it would have to be near perfection. And, you know, so as long as it wasn't a bad day, I'm not gonna make a big deal about it. It was, you know, it was a day. And I'm just saying, see, my thing is, I've never really been one much for celebration. That, that, that's my problem. I, I've just, I've, I've never really been big on celebrating, which is ironic because I married the master celebrator. See, like this past week, it was Grant. He's my youngest son. It, it was his birthday. And it wasn't just a birthday. It was like two days of birthday extravaganza. I mean, it started in the morning. It went on into the afternoon, late into the evening hours. And then it started the next day and was a full other 24-hour cycle of birthday. And also, I mean, he turned six. Really, it's like I don't have a problem with the six-year-old birthday. My problem is with the one-year-old birthday. I'll, that's fine, I'll just speak to the dads now. I mean, I'm just telling you, like I never really got the whole one-year-old, I mean, I don't really get birthdays anyway. What are you selling? It's not like you accomplished anything. All you're saying is, I didn't die yet, I'm still breathing. What is there to celebrate? But some of you, that is a celebration. I'm still alive. But I'm just saying like, what is, like the one-year-old birthday, they're not gonna remember it. I figure like you at least got till three or four. I mean, if you really wanna work, you could probably stretch it out till six, I'm just saying. I've just never really been into the whole celebration thing. And the way this works out in my life is, see, I'll celebrate something when there's something worth celebrating. But until that point, I mean, let's just keep working. Until that point, let's just keep getting it done. And the problem is, 
I struggle to celebrate my own success. I, I struggle to celebrate even the good things in my life because there's always someplace else that I wanna get to. There's always someplace else that I wanna go. There's always something else out there, even just talking about what's good. But being a dad has started to change this for me. And I'll tell you what really started to drive it home is so I was reading this passage and Marissa's talking to me about, you know, there's what's really gonna require to be a good day. And, and I'm playing with my kids. And one of my favorite things to play at our house is, is we play football. I play it with my older boys primarily. Grant's a little bit too young. Pippa thinks she's a dog. She just thinks it's fetch and she'll bring it back to me. So, so I play primarily with, with Reese and Oliver. And it's like our favorite thing to do. And when I say play football, this is what it looks like. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I uh, give them routes to run and then I chuck the ball at them and then they bring it back to me. And, and it's, it's pretty good. And I gotta tell you, like, like they've gotten pretty good. Like we're, we're changing up the routes now and I'm making it a little bit more difficult. Sometimes I'm throwing the ball hard at them just to see like how they react. And, and so I've been playing, with this, playing this with them for a while now and uh, they, they're really getting pretty good. Uh, I was playing, this was a few weeks ago, I was playing uh, with Oliver and Reese and Oliver had caught like 10 catches in a row. It was amazing. I mean, he's, just, he's seven years old. He caught 10 catches in a row. And I'm you know, throwing pretty hard. I'm like, well, he's caught 10 in a row. I'm going to make this next one a little bit more difficult. So, so I throw it like a little bit beyond him. And he dives and catches the ball. I, he got him. I said, Oliver, that was amazing. That was incredible. He's like, yeah, I know. I said, no, like, like you don't get it. Like, like, I wish I would have had my cell phone. I wish I would have captured. That was incredible. He's like, yeah, I know. Well, I was also playing with Reese. Reese has also caught many of them in a row. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the same thing for him. So, so I, I, Reese goes, he runs his routes a little bit harder. I throw the ball to him a little bit beyond him. He dives and catches it too. I said, Reese. That was amazing. That was incredible. You know what his response was? Yeah, I should have ran a little bit faster though. If I would have ran a little bit faster, I wouldn't have had to dive to catch it. You know, you've been talking to me about like catching the ball and tucking it in and run. I wasn't able to do that because I didn't run fast enough. And see, I, I started to get it now. I, it started to make sense to me what Marissa was talking about because Somehow or another, I've, I've passed on to him this idea that there's always room for improvement. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing in and of itself, but here's what I realized as I was reading this text, is that if we're always thinking about what we need to be working on without ever tasting our success, we won't be able to sustain our progress in life. See, that's why I married a cheerleader. Marissa was a cheerleader in high school. I, I, I needed to marry someone who could celebrate me a little bit. I, I needed to marry somebody who could celebrate my progress. And she's great at it. She is absolutely my biggest cheerleader. But what I'm realizing is you can't always wait for somebody else to cheer you on. You, you can't always wait for somebody else to celebrate your progress. You gotta be your own cheerleader sometimes. You, you need to celebrate even the partial victories in your life. Because see, it was the fact that Saul wanted to win so badly that kept him 
from winning completely. Let me show you what I mean in this text. We start in verse 24. In verse 24, it says this. Now the Israelites were in distress that day. Say that day. See, the Israelites were in distress that day. But I want you to notice what it says in the verse right before. This is verse 23. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Now, it would make sense if these were two different days. Like one day God saved them and then another day they were in distress. But what you gotta understand, everything in 1 Samuel chapter 14 takes place in the same day. This is the same day that Jonathan won the victory. It's the same day where it says God delivered the Israel. He saved them and the battle moved on. But verse 24 calls it a day of distress and verse 23 calls it a day of deliverance. So let me ask you, how's your day? How's your day? I wonder, are you letting it be, are you letting a day of deliverance become a day of distress simply because you're unsatisfied? See, you get to decide whether you're gonna celebrate or whether you're gonna starve. And that was Saul's problem. The battle moved on, but the battle wasn't over. So what Saul did is he made an oath. He, he says, look, until this battle is over, nobody's gonna eat anything, and this is the way we live our lives. Well, I'll be happy when. You know, once I hit my goals, then I'm gonna celebrate. Until everything's done on my list, then I'll be grateful. Then it'll be good. But until that moment, I'm not gonna do anything. And so we, we deprive ourselves of ever having something sweet because we disguise it as discipline. We think we're being disciplined and all we're really doing is depriving ourselves. We're, we're, we're discouraging our progress. And the reason is because we've defined our goals based off what we won't do rather than what we will do. I get why Saul did this though. I mean, I do. I told you I relate to Saul. He's not the greatest Bible character to relate to, but I relate to him in this way because he's driven, right? He's the king at this time. And I imagine like he wants to motivate his troops. You know what another word for driven is? Hungry. Sometimes we think like that's good. Are you hungry? I think he just wanted to keep his troops, he's, he's trying to motivate them. He's trying to keep them hungry. See, sometimes the reason we don't ever taste victory is because we're not hungry enough. And I get that, but that's not what's going on here. God has already brought the victory. God has already delivered them. God has already saved them. They, they've won the battle. The fighting's not finished, but God brought a great victory. But because the victory wasn't complete, because it had moved, Saul made this decision to defer celebration until he had reached perfection. And he stopped his progress in the process. See, that's the danger of delaying gratitude. That, that's the danger of depriving yourself. It's the danger of focusing on how you always fall short without ever telling yourself, hey, good job, cowboy. 
It's the danger of always beating yourself up without ever patting yourself on the back. That's the danger of depriving yourself. And see, if you don't stop and enjoy the success of this battle, you won't be able to endure the struggles of the next battle. You gotta stop and and taste the success a little bit. Every once in a while, you just need to celebrate your own success. I'm not saying that you need to forget about God in the process because these Israelites, they didn't win the battle on their own. It was God who brought the victory. It's what God does through you. I'm just saying that sometimes you need to stop and celebrate. Sometimes you need to stop and rejoice. Sometimes you just need to pat yourself on the back. You might need to talk to yourself in the third person like Kanye and say, you did that. You just tell yourself that you did that. Now, this is something that Oliver has no problem with, by the way. Uh, Oliver spends more time working on his dab than he does on his catch. We need to pray for Oliver right now. Would you just stretch forth your hands? Let's pray for Oliver. But I'm just saying, like, there is such a thing as excessive celebration. That There is. Like, that's where you celebrate before you've even scored a goal. That's where you're buying stuff you can't afford to project a lifestyle that you're not ready for yet. That's where you're posting all your highlights on Instagram so you can cover up how you really feel about you. There is such a thing as excessive celebration. But I'm just saying you gotta, you gotta learn when to celebrate and what to celebrate. You gotta celebrate the right way. If you're trying to lose weight, if that's your goal, and you're in a place where you're saving up money, you're doing good, well, when you, when you lose some weight, buy a new outfit. That's a good celebration, right? If your goal is you're, you're trying to save up money and, and you're, you're working towards that and you're making some progress, but you've been hitting the gym five times a week, then have yourself a donut. I mean, just go after it. But I'm saying you gotta learn to celebrate the right things the right way. You, you gotta focus on something and then celebrate the victory that you have. Maybe you're not debt-free, but maybe you paid off one of your loans. You know, maybe you're not married yet, but at least you went on a date. Maybe you haven't gone on a date, but at least you're not on Tinder. You know, I'm just saying, like, like you gotta find some things to celebrate. Maybe, maybe you haven't gone on a date, but you know what? At least you got some friends, or at least you're in a great church that has some groups, and you can find a place to serve and get involved and meet some people. I'm just saying you've got a reason that you can celebrate. Not everything that God does in your life is something that you have to promote. That's the other problem. Sometimes we just, you know, every every blessing God gives us, we think that we have to share that with the world. There's some stuff that God does in your life just for you. And you can just keep that to yourself. But what I'm telling you is that there's a right way to celebrate. Here's the rhythm. You gotta sacrifice and then you celebrate. Sacrifice and then celebrate. Save some money then upgrade the car. Sacrifice, put some money in the college fund, and then celebrate, then take a vacation. You gotta sacrifice, then celebrate. See, some people, this tends to be me, except I'm changing, is just sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. But if it's all sacrifice and no celebration, then you won't have any strength. That's like starving yourself. That's what Saul was doing. 
He, he wasn't just unsatisfied. He decided that he was gonna starve everybody else around him. And here's the application, is that you can't fight if you don't feed. You, you can't fight the battles that you're gonna have to fight if you don't feed. Jonathan said, the reason that the soldiers are weak is because they haven't eaten anything. They're not weak soldiers. They just haven't eaten anything. If you would eat something, you would find out you have more strength than you realize. And so maybe you're not failing because you're weak. Maybe you're just not well-fed. You're stronger than you think you are, but you gotta eat. And you won't be able to strengthen others if you don't strengthen yourself. Because here's the thing in the text, if you don't eat what's sweet, then eventually you'll turn sour. That's what happened to Paul, or I'm sorry, Saul. So that's what happened to Saul. He, he rejected the sweetness that God brought his way. And instead, he turned bitter. In fact, what it says is that he bound the people with an oath. You know, that's what bitterness is. It's bondage. Bitterness is bondage. It's where you can't do something because you're bound. He says, nobody's gonna eat till all my enemies are destroyed. I'm not gonna be happy until. I'm not gonna be worth loving until. God's not gonna be pleased with me until. And if you've said something like that, you know what the problem is? The, the, the problem isn't that you're eating too much, you had too much sweetness, but you do need to drop some LBS. You, you need to drop some pounds. You, you're, you're bound by the pounds, some, some LBS, some limiting belief systems. So some limiting belief systems. That, that's what's keeping you bound. So some some limiting belief systems. See, it wasn't the honey that was keeping them. That it wasn't that the honey wasn't there. It was that they were bound from partaking in it. It wasn't that the joy isn't there. It's that you've refused to partake in it because of some limiting belief systems that you've embraced. And it's amazing how sometimes like one person can just say something to us that, that almost sticks with us. It's something that happened in our childhood. It could be a parent, it could be an authority figure, it could be a teacher. Somebody said one thing that just sticks with us for the rest of our life and, and we've embraced it as our belief system. That's what happened here. Saul made this oath and if you read on in the story, it almost caused him to kill his own son. Because of what one person said in a moment of frustration. See, Saul was bitter. He was bitter within himself. I don't know if you know the whole story, but the whole way that Saul was chosen to be king was, was rather interesting. The, the reason he was chosen is because he looked the part. Saul was a good-looking dude. He was attractive. He could draw people to himself. He was tall, tall, dark, and handsome. He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. That's why Saul was king. He looked the part. But in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Samuel comes and he tells Saul, he says, hey, the, the kingdom is gonna be torn away from you. It's not gonna be yours anymore. God's gonna give it to someone else. 
And so by the time we get to 1 Samuel chapter 14, Saul is dealing with the bitter aftertaste of his own failure. He's dealing with the fact that this used to be his and now it's not, and now he's bitter. And I wonder if there's bitter people in your life who are keeping you from enjoying your blessings. See, lots of times, if the enemy can't keep us bound in failure, then what he'll do is he'll try to keep us from enjoying the success that we do have. And that's a trap. Because if you can't enjoy God's blessings, then you can't endure God's battle, endure life's battles. You, you, you gotta take a minute and taste some of your success. David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And sometimes that's the reason people don't wanna be around you. It's because you never celebrate anything. You're always bitter. See, it's the, it's the sweet taste of victory. You can't expect people to wanna be around you if every time they're around you, all you do is give them something bitter. All you do is tell them how they need to improve. All you do is tell them how they continually fell short. So, so what do we do? You gotta taste your triumph. You have to taste your triumph. I'm not, I'm not saying you gotta just indulge, but you can take a bite. In fact, when, when, you, when you win a fight, take a bite. That, that's a, that's a, a good rhythm to keep in your life. When you win a battle, take a bite. When you have a triumph, take a taste. Because if you don't fill up on what God provides for you, on the honey, then what you're gonna do is you're gonna look for something else to satisfy you. That, that's why it's so important that we feed the people that God has called us to. If you're married, you better feed your spouse something sweet. You better speak some sweet words to them. Better give them something sweet. If you're a parent, you better feed your kids something sweet. If you're a father, you gotta feed your son something sweet. If you're a leader, you gotta feed your team something sweet. That's what Jesus told Peter. He said, hey, Peter, you've received some things from me. Now I want you to feed my sheep, feed my lambs. But you can't feed people on strength that you've never received, on food that you didn't eat. You gotta eat what's sweet. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna tell you to enjoy the blessings that God has given you. When, when, when God does something in your life, be grateful. When, when God acts on your behalf, worship him. When you win a victory, taste the honey. When you win a battle, take a bite. 